The Spin-Off Podcast Network. Raising capital or taking your business to the world? Investment Fix has everything you need to make it happen. This season, we're exploring the US market, the opportunities it offers, what it takes to grow a business there, and the best way to approach investors. The Investment Fix Podcast. Tune in today. The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. My hoki mai ki Fold, e mihi nei ko Duncan Grieve tokungoa. My guest this week is Tracy Martin, former New Zealand First MP, former Minister, the Honourable Tracy Martin. She has that uh, descriptor for life, uh, and also now a, a very key, maybe the most important person in the New Zealand media, because she is also the chair of the Establishment Board, which is overseeing the creation of ANZPM, which will naturally absorb RNZ and TVNZ into it. Uh, So this has been a relatively long-running process um, that has, in recent months, become a little bit fraught, I think it's fair to say, largely because there has been, you know, to, to fund it, they've taken a bunch of money away from New Zealand On Air, which has previously been contestable and nominally available to all the private sector media. It's now no longer, and and NZ on air is correspondingly smaller as a result. But there's also been a very large chunk of money, uh, $109 million a year to be exact, which is also being topped up into uh, ANZPM to, to help create it and, and sort of define its scope. You know, in the context of New Zealand media, that's a very, very large amount of money, Uh to, to be able to rely on each year untagged and, and commercial free. Now, part of so so you know you can understand why the the submissions to to the select committee, uh, which is overseeing the creation of the of the bill, which which makes all this happen, from the private sector media were pretty pretty concerned because that bill doesn't really have a lot to say about how it will operate commercially. It's going to have some government money and it's going to have some commercial funds. There's not a lot in the legislation itself that says how it will behave. And there's absolutely a world. I think this is a very genuine concern that it could, if it operated in a particular style, sort of suffocate the, the private sector media and you know, and thereby make the state-funded media that much larger by comparison. Now, those are genuine concerns, and I don't think they're going to be addressed in the legislation. So we end up relying on that establishment board and the processes which will create a charter and appoint the CE and the board that oversees the new entity. Like this, I know this sounds like super boring, but it's actually really, really important in terms of how the the future of media and what you know, which is really how we understand and relate to one another in this country, how that all plays out. And I honestly think we're quite lucky to have someone like Tracy Martin there. Yes, she was a New Zealand First MP, but she really does feel like an apolitical person in this process. She really is trying to address everyone's concerns and build something that um, is robust and, and will endure. We try and talk about basically everything that's gone on uh, in terms of the the last few months and, and how they are trying to navigate through this, this very uh, complex web of of you know different forces acting on it 
so that that goes to the commercial side, it goes to the cultural side, it goes to the relationships with uh, private sector media and with the technology platforms. I wasn't fully satisfied by all the answers, if I'm honest, but, uh, you know, it's a lot to get through. And I think that, that Tracy has done a very good job of, of trying to get her head and our heads around all that's going on. So it's a lot to get through. Let's just get into it. This is Tracy Martin, chair of the ANZPM Establishment Board on The Fault. Nakwe, Tracy, and welcome to The Fold. Oh, Morena, thank you so much for having me. Uh, this is a real treat for me. Uh, you know, the, the merger has been a, a consuming obsession of mine and, and a, a problem in my marriage for some time. And so to have someone who is really, really much deeper than I could ever be on this thing uh, to, to, to chat with about it for, for an hour is a, is a real treat. The one thing I'm I'm curious about to start with is actually how how you're handling it all because it could be a, I mean it must be an exhausting process at times. Um, it's certainly uh, in the, particularly in the last few months it has been there've been moments when I've been really tired um, and it's taken a lot of my time more time than I thought I think anybody thought at the beginning but then I get into a conversation with people who you know say well why are we doing this or how are we going to do this. Um, and I realise that I'm actually really passionate about it, so that energy comes back and sparks off again. So one thing that the, the, that those questions, the why and the how, have been dominant. The the how I think is is very interesting. We, we will talk a bunch about that. But the why I thought was laid out reasonably well at the start, and yet there has been noise out of both media and politics that says that there is no justification of this or or no one asked for it. Latter part may be true. But but I do think that the case is compelling. Do you want to just explain for anyone who is kind of, you know, concerned about about you know why this is happening, what what the, the fundamental justification for, for this process is? And you see there's not just one, and I think that's been part of the problem about trying to articulate the why. And certain um, parts of, you know, the community have focused on a particular one piece. So there's there's ultimately there's probably more than four, but if I can focus on four, technology has changed. So when you think about one of our entities has been focused particularly on linear television, and yes, they've been moving to digital, but they need more investment in that space. The other one of the entities has been focused on uh, radio, AM, FM, and again, that technology and the places where New Zealanders are has changed. So that's the second thing. Where the audience has shown us, the survey done by NZ On Air has shown us that our New Zealanders are going to different places to find um, their news and their entertainment, um, and we need our state broadcasting entities to be in those places or to be partnering with people that are in them. The revenue is dropping, so revenue is dropping particularly for one of our entities, TVNZ, and that's due to international platforms, so I think my figures are slightly old, but let's say there was $2.4 billion worth of advertising in the New Zealand market. 1.2 had gone offshore by a few months ago, and I think that number has increased. Um, and trust is dropping across the planet, and misinformation is rising. So these two entities, TVNZ and RNZ, happen to be the most trusted in New Zealand, even though theirs is dropping. The time to actually step in and start to do something new and start to build real strategies around trust is before it's at crisis point. Um, so that was one of the other sort of major reasons that this is happening. And we, we chatted about this offline last week, but I, I think it's good to get it on the record. 
that you know, so there have been rumors circulating at various times that you know the the process has felt a little shaky, uh, and you know there was a suggestion it wouldn't be the first government major government project to to ultimately not happen. But you are adamant that this is going ahead. Am I correct? Oh, I'm adamant it's going ahead. Yes. So. Um, yeah, and the other the other big thing, in fact, some of where that that kind of shakiness came from was the the submissions around it, and particularly the the testimony before the select committee of the private sector media operators, which had a relatively unusual level of force around legislation, which you know, on some level, might have been thought that it it didn't necessarily impact them. You have you know for your uh, sons read all of the submissions. Uh, do you want to sort of give give me a sense of how those landed with you and how the the process is responding to that feedback? Sure. Um, so I read the 932 submissions. There's 932 if you strip out the supplementary papers that attach to some of the individual submissions. Um, of those submissions, when you strip out those that actually weren't commenting on the legislation, they were commenting on government. Um, you've got 80% of what is left that are actually commenting on the legislation that were in favour, but they wanted some changes. Um, And of that 80%, 61 were from the Better Public Media, um, uh, you know, action group. So um, ultimately what that told me was that there is... There is support for this change to the state broadcaster, but there were some really important pieces that people were looking for, and they were looking for it in the ledge. And the commercial sector were looking for some surety that this entity wouldn't do, wouldn't behave in a similar way that has happened overseas when you know they've amalgamated things, um, and that is that it uses its size to literally drive them out of the market. Um, hence why the uh, charter and the collaboration that is in the legislation is so important. So um, while I don't have any power over the legislation, that's a parliamentary process, a sort of a downstream effect of that is, and I have been around and seen the commercial players, is to acknowledge and recognise that, try to, with the piece of monitoring work that we're doing, um, inside the establishment unit, strengthen some of those areas that they have major concerns around. Um, and I'm trying, I'm, I'm working as fast as I can to actually get the monitor to be able to come out and show them the documents about what, how this entity will be held to account. I want to talk about the monitor because I think that's probably something that's not particularly well understood publicly, both the existence of it and the role it will play, play in almost acting as a, a break or a, you know, um, having oversight of the impact of this in, in multiple ways. And I think it's a, a pretty crucial piece here. But before we get to that, you know, part of that, you know, a big thread in the private sector response to the the bill was that, you know, the, the, uh, basically a fear within the private sector that if you give $107 million a year more to what is already a very, very good uh, commercial operator that has already signaled that unlike the rest of the private sector, it doesn't have to return a dividend anymore. That, you know, that process of, you know, know, in a a shrinking pool of ad dollars, as as you've acknowledged, that it'll just kind of overwhelm the, um, you know, the, the private sector media, the fourth estate. Uh, you know, in, in quite short order. You think those fears are overblown. Do you want to explain why that is? Um, I think with 
I, do, I wouldn't say that they're overblown. I understand their fears. I absolutely do. And, and as I've said on a number of occasions, TVNZ has delivered incredibly well on their mandate, which is to be a 100% commercial entity. What we are creating here is not a 100% commercial entity. So um, it has a charter. It has a different entity shape. And as I've um, explained to the um, commercial sector, the greatest protection they have against um, ANZPM being TVNZ on steroids with a radio station is the ACE form, is the Autonomous Crown Entity form, because the, that shifts the key driver from being about money, which is what TVNZ has been up to this point, to actually being about the charter and the delivery of public broadcasting to New Zealanders partially supported by commercial revenue. So Treasury drops back to being the secondary monitor and the Ministry of Culture and Heritage has a monitoring unit that is being established inside of it now and they are setting the key parameters upon which this will be judged. So that's the first thing. Um, their greatest protection is the entity form. And the second part of the protection is actually around that monitoring of how this entity not only delivers on its charter obligations, but how it partners with others, others to do so and how it behaves inside the ecosystem because it's supposed to be supporting everybody in that ecosystem to survive. This is New Zealand against the internationals, not New Zealanders against New Zealanders. So I, I, I agree with that, and I think that's a you know, an important conceptual way of understanding the intention around it. The thing that, you know, I and, and I know that other people in the private sector media struggle with to an extent is how easy or hard it will be to convince a very large, very long established, probably the best commercial operator, like I say, in, in the whole sector to behave differently. And, you know, I want to kind of read a quote to you. So I went to TVNZ's Upfronts last Thursday. Were you? I'm not sure if you were in the audience. No, I had another engagement. Yeah. So th that's where, you know, for those listening who, who don't know what Upfronts are, that's basically where a, a, a media company explains its plans for the new year to its advertisers. Um, and Jodie O'Donnell, Jodie O'Donnell, who's the commercial director of TVNZ, got up on stage. She was the final speaker. It is, admittedly, the upfronts, while they are about your new season, they're about your, explaining your new season to advertisers. But she said, and I quote, a strong public media environment will not change our commercial focus. Because whereas, you know, I saw you on, on NewsHub interviewed by Rebecca Wright saying it's actually going to be less commercial, there just still doesn't seem to be a resolution to that that existing tension between those two statements. Sure. So, um, and, and I understand TVNZ is, is in a very tricky spot at this moment in time because they are still running their business under the mandates that they have. Um, you know, their board is still their board, their CE is still their CE, and they are still trying to do everything that they have been asked to do up until this point. The 1st of March is a starting point of change. So that's probably the first thing. People need to not expect that on the 1st of March suddenly there will be massive program changes, there will be, um, you know, enormous adverts all over RNZ and things like that. That's not going to happen on the 1st of March. It's a very technical shift um, and it's a very legislative shift. However, it does start change. So for the next 12 months at least, which is the advertising market that Jodie and, um, and those that work with her are working into, she's absolutely right. Nothing is going to change from that commercial perspective in, for at least the next 12 months. 
over that 12-month period of time, the actual entity board is going to have to work with the combined groups of people inside ANZPM and reset the strategic direction to deliver on what is the charter and to deliver on what is expected of this new entity inside the ecosystem. But let's not um, forget that the modelling that we have done is based on TVNZ being able to hold on to the revenue projections that came out of the business case and that we have improved on during the uh, funding and monitoring work that we have done. Um, but at the end of the day, the revenue stream is dropping. We're not, we're not making it drop. We're not deliberately going out of our way to make it drop, but it is dropping. And so there has to be alternatives in place and this entity has to change um, from what has been the norm for the last so you know couple of decades. So I'm going to pick up on on something here, which I swear it might sound like a minor or a trivial point, but in the context of how the the, the culture of TVNZ is expressed, particularly its engagement on the commercial side, and some of how its it sort of energy is expressed. I, so at that after that event, that, you know, as is typical with all of these public and and private sector media, there is there's a bunch of, you know, fancy booze and fancy canapes, and and this is this is a big event that that you know is responsible for channeling millions of dollars into the company. With the whereas you know when you think about the core public service, you do not think about. You know, people wandering around with dresses made of champagne flutes and, you know, the, the very fine food and wine. That's sort of antithetical to, to the, um, you know, to, to the approach of the thing. Does the, the literal shape of the entity, you know, in terms of whether it's an autonomous crown entity or a crown controlled company, et cetera, does that, does that, does that proximity to the core public service impact its ability to behave more like the the private sector, Do, have you sort of considered that? Because I don't think it's trivial, and and even though it might seem frivolous, where I see that that will make it that will matter is when the chair of the board and the CE is sitting in front of select committee and being asked, "How have you how have you delivered on the charter? How have you used the the taxpayers' money to deliver on what you have been asked to deliver on?" Um, and this particular spend, how did this particular spend benefit the outcomes for the New Zealand taxpayer? So it's actually not about the spend. It's about your confidence in being able to say, we spent that money and did it in this way because what it generated for the New Zealand taxpayer was this much revenue, which meant that their public broadcaster was able to deliver on this much programming for them. Right. I mean... And and I think that yeah, that, so that's that's kind of how. I mean, it will be interesting to see see how that plays out, particularly given that you know my I've, I've been to RNZ Christmas functions. They are nowhere near as lavish as TVNZs. And well, that, but and again, they haven't they haven't had the revenue. So maybe you know this is something that the RNZ people can actually look forward to is the opportunity to showcase what they do um, with the with the um, benefit of now TVNZ's uh, marketing ability or, or whatever. There are positives and negatives inside of everything. Um, and I would also, I'd have to say, TVNZ is, they are public servants. They are, they're actually a publicly owned entity. 
who are delivering for the New Zealand public. So um, they just haven't had to behave in the same way that perhaps DIA has or, you know, the Ministry of Primary Industries because they're in a different marketplace. And if they are confident and able to stand up and confidently say, this is why we deliver in this way because this is the result that it um, it delivers for the New Zealand public, then then they should hold their head high and do it. So the the, the crucial thing here to me is is that monitoring piece because as you say the advertising is coming backwards we can we can almost it sort of seems almost inevitable that that will continue to happen for a long period of time and advertising remains the major funder of news current affairs uh you know entertainment properties you name it if we make something in in New Zealand then it is largely funded by an advertising dollar which is shrinking year on year on year and so part of the 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 sort of pitch that you have made is that the that this won't involve on some level or like a nationalization by stealth of the entire media market just by virtue of the government standing still while everyone else shrinks it will be that the that additional government funding will also flow out into the private sector and help provide a kind of a level of integrity and continuity of funding in that space as well, which is right now an aspiration, but we don't know how that will be delivered. The monitoring unit seems absolutely crucial to that. So explain to me what what that unit is, what kinds of things it will monitor and how we will know whether it is actually, it's working and it's not sort of destroying the the, the private sector. Sure. Okay. So there's um, a couple of people that are working, well, there's a few people actually that are working really solidly on this, just this piece of work alone. So um, the monitoring unit um, will be set up inside um, the Ministry of Culture and Heritage. Uh, that's not what was recommended by the business case group, but I understand why the government has chosen to pick off, you know, one piece at a time. Um, and so the unit is being established inside the Ministry of Culture and Heritage. They have been working with, they've spoken with Ofcom and other monitors of public media entities around the world and have been working out. So what is the, first of all, what do we have to monitor? And the charter is pretty easy. Treasury is a secondary monitor and, and their, um, you know, their monitoring is relatively easy. That's around the fiduciary duties and appropriate spend and responsibility around money. Um, and then there are, so they've been identifying what do they have to measure. Then they've been coming up with, so what would that, what would success look like? How would we mark that this entity was actually successful on that? And then the last piece of that work is what is the evidence that we need for ANZPM to be able to provide us so that we can show whether they are being successful or not? The piece that's really, really important and that I'm hoping to, you know, get out as uh, publicly as fast as possible is the piece around the collaboration and supporting the wider ecosystem um, because that's the bit that will that will hold to account all of the statements I'm making about what we're trying to do here. And that is where I know that the monitor, for example, has already um, incorporated into the requirement that they go out into the ecosystem and speak to stakeholders, private, commercial, other public media stakeholders, about the behaviour of this entity, and they will report in on that. Um, I had the CE of one of the 
uh, commercial entities asked me whether there was any process by which to complain to the monitor if they started to see uh, behaviours that were inappropriate. And there is. So I've checked that and we'll make sure that we get that in writing and that we can send that back out to the sector. Um, the other thing that's, um, I came out of um, staff's submission actually, and I've asked the monitor whether they whether they can have a look at. Staff was particularly concerned about the entity being able to run lost leaders in a way for advertising, which is, you know, undercut the advertising market by 30% and take all the advertising revenue, which would directly be, you know, in opposition to what is the intent of this entity. So I've asked the monitor whether they can have a look at what Sinead put in her uh, submission um, that I've said either in the BBC's or the ABC's legislation, where the midpoint of advertising um, cost is actually identified and the entity must be within 5% above or below that midpoint and they have to prove it to the monitor. Now, because they're partially commercial, commercial people may have to take the monitor's word for it, um, but they should be able to provide evidence to the monitor that they are not either undercutting the market or what advertisers are worried about is that the entity will reduce its advertising but still have the biggest audience and then charge them higher for it. So we've got two sides to that coin that could be solved by um, incorporating something like that into the monitoring. I mean, a lot of this is is predicated on... Yeah, you know, this is a Labour Party initiative that is uh, going through the legislative process now. Na- the National Party initially seemed agnostic. Now they seem a bit more uh, probably not not necessarily fully hostile to it, but it certainly is held up regularly as an example of uh, government waste and, and so on. Have you had conversations with Melissa Lee and with the National Party about this? And, you know, are there ways of – because ideally this is a durable – you know, multi-decade uh, entity rather than something that becomes political and is dismantled and rebuilt every, uh, you know, every few elections. Sure. Um, yes, I have. I mean, I've actually, I've had permission from both the pre- the current minister and the previous minister to go and see Melissa. So I've gone and seen her twice. Um, once with, with the, um, when I was working with the business case group and more recently in the last month around the work of the um, establishment board. Uh, we've also had um, the, the head of the establishment unit, Liz Stewart, has also been and recently briefed um, Melissa Lee on the figures after the um, unredacted business case was leaked out. Um, so, And we had been holding that redaction to protect TVNZ as a commercial entity because it actually had their their figures in it, which showed the counterfactual if the government did nothing, but also what was the projected loss. So I have had conversations with Melissa. I think now my view is that um, the National Party, now that they have access to the figures, um, at least the the counterfactual inside the business case from last year, can see that it wasn't a situation of doing nothing. Um, Both entities require investment to um, lift their performance into places where New Zealanders are. And they also, if if she's listening, and I believe she is, she knows that the ecosystem is under stress from the international uh, conglomerates. So action needed to be taken.
The Fold is brought to you by O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa, with over 4,000 out-of-home advertising sites nationwide across both street furniture and retail centres. I'm super grateful to O Media for enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Ready to rediscover the joys of cycling? With over 300 kilometres of cycle paths across Tamaki Makoto, jumping on your bike and going for a ride is such a fun way to discover the city from a different perspective. Cycling is getting more and more popular across Auckland, so now's a great time to join the hype and give cycling a go. Head to at.govt forward slash cycling to find your nearest cycleway today. So it's interesting you, you talk about the system being under stress from the international conglomerates because it's manifestly true. You know, the the we, the New Zealand media, which fundamentally is is largely it's it's professionally made media. You know, we we either buy content or we create it ourselves, um, and we employ people to do so. The the international technology giants, which are hoovering up an ever larger amount of attention and then interspersing ads between that we're, we're you know the the world is making their con- their content costs are, are near zero and that is the the fundamental problem is like how can you ever win a, a war for attention when one side has has zero costs of content and the other you know has has very high costs and i think the thing which you know g- gives me pause about this is like the idea is you know on the one hand this is New Zealand banding together against those entities. On the other, we have this idea that we need to go and meet New Zealanders where they are. And that's where they are, is on these platforms. So how do you resolve that tension around, you know, the audience, particularly the young audience, which is one of the most important missing pieces, is on TikTok, which is, by the way, controlled by the Chinese state, and we have no visibility over what it's surfacing uh, to our rangatahi, and and it's also, you know, it's it, it is also as well as a place where you go to serve them. It is it controls the ad revenue, and and it is fundamentally a symptom of the kind of thing that you're setting up to avoid. So you know, to to really reduce it down, you're proposing to create content for these platforms as much as you are to protect against them in a way. Um, no, that's not what I'm proposing. Um, and that's probably where, that's probably a distinction, like when um, it was suggested recently um, that, you know, New Zealand On Air could actually just do all of this. New Zealand On Air definitely is platform agnostic. So New Zealand On Air funds content that they want to make sure that the most amount of people can see it. Part of what is uh, the requirement for ANZPM, and this comes to that comment that I made around it's not all about eyeballs and ears, and it's not all about eyeballs and ears now from this perspective. And the young that you're talking about, that young demographic is the hardest demographic to get to. However, there are other groups of New Zealanders who are underserved and underrepresented currently, not both on our current channels and our current portals, but also in other places where they are. And we could be partnering with those those that are serving into them to do more and to do better. So um, it's not necessarily all about trying to compete with TikTok or Instagram. One of the things that was the original business case um, 
proposition, and it wasn't in the business case, it's in the overarching report that we gave to Minister Farfoy when we delivered the business case, was about making sure that when our citizens, if they were on TikTok or they were on Instagram or whatever, and they came across something and they thought, I'm not sure about that, is that real or is that not real? Where was a place they could come back to? Where was a place in New Zealand that they were able to go back and see if they could verify it? Where was the trusted brand that they could come back to? So that's part of what we're talking about. We're not talking about necessarily creating content and popping it up onto their platforms. There are um, the other thing that we've... um, So you've got demographics of New Zealanders, whether that be Pacific or Indian New Zealanders or Chinese New Zealanders, um, if they were able to see and hear themselves more regularly and from the and, and in programming from their perspective, would they return to or would they now come back to um, the New Zealand entities as opposed to the international entities? So there are other gaps and other spaces, not just the you know eighteen to thirty four year olds that um, a lot of people are driving onto. Um, but we can hook them possibly back to us. These are all things that the new entity board and the new entity certainly are going to have to be challenged with, and I'm not an expert in that space, but we have discussed it in many ways at that board table. I mean, I I think a lot of the time there is a gap between the sort of abstract, idealistic um, behaviours of, you know, wanting someone to verify a fact and then going to some other platform, whether it's, TVNZ Plus or some kind of future creation, the the overwhelming story of technology is of, you know, platform determinism is of these these new entities becoming so powerful and and so good because of the the, the fundamental technological and, and investment advantages they have that the trying to get someone to behave in a particular way, uh, you know, whether they're um, Indian New Zealanders, Chinese New Zealanders, Pacific New Zealanders, like the, all of this, or, or um, that young audience, there just isn't much history, and the, and the scale of investment to 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 kind of reach them, uh, you know, it, it does seem a huge ask to 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 create something new that that moves at the pace that that technology develops, you know, so that that. that piece just does feel really, really difficult to me. It's, it is very difficult. Don't get me wrong. It's very difficult. But at the same time, um, no no democracy that we've been in touch with is moving away from having a public broadcaster. So they, and 71 or 70% of New Zealanders surveyed, I can't tell you the name of the survey, I'd have to go and find it, um, said that they believed that we needed a public broadcaster. So we have to have this entity. We have to have a public broadcaster. But you've also got this public broadcaster, ANZPM, has a requirement to also provide equity to those who aren't shifting onto those platforms. So if you have a look at linear television, what we've got is we've got a reducing audience, but actually that audience, um, the people who are predominantly there are older and also many Māori and Pacific, so older Māori and Pacific. Um, If you look at the AM transmission, which again is another sort of a sunset technology really. But you've, you know, apart from having a civil defence requirement, you've got Iwi Radio, Pacifica Radio, Community Radio, Access Radio, and Rural and Regional. So this ANZPM has a requirement to continue to provide that connection for those New Zealanders just as much as it is going to have to try and work those partnerships and create those um 
those portals or platforms or whatever that that will encourage the New Zealanders who are currently not interacting with state with public media to come and have a look to connect. It, nobody said this was going to be easy. Um, we haven't. We've designed something that we believe is the pathway for the future. But whoever is sitting at the board table and whoever is the CE is going to have to one shift the cultures of both the current entities coming into this into the environment and recognise that this is a new entity with a new purpose, um, and it's not going to be it's not going to be done overnight. I mean that that's quite an interesting aspect of it, right? Is that uh, you know quite apart from the culture change, there is the how will we know it's working piece, and and I assume that that is part of the monitor's remit. But yeah, measuring things online is is really difficult, and one of the few things that we do have is is New Zealand on Air's where the audiences survey, which you referred to earlier. That was supposed to be conducted every year uh, from now on, but they I'm not sure why decided not to conduct a full version of it this year will that be part of the monitor's remit to really conduct ongoing and quite granular research to say it's all very well and good to make this content but and but we need to have a pan media survey that isn't you know nielsen or 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 these these organizations which are fundamentally exist to to kind of help the commercial entities tell a story to their advertisers but is actually concerned with finding out the truth of audience behavior that's going to be a very costly exercise but it's absolutely essential to knowing whether you're actually doing things so is that part of the monitor's remit it is so the conversations that the monitor was having and they got interrupted unfortunately um by a, a they were conversations with New Zealand On Air that got interrupted due to a funding situation that New Zealand On Air reacted to. So, um, but those conversations are starting to resume. So what that was about was the monitor was having conversations with New Zealand On Air and Tamangai Paho about a triangular relationship, one, to be able to work creatively and constructively across the content commissioning um, sector to... Um, uh, New Zealand on air talks about it from a not duplication perspective, but actually ANZPM, the establishment unit, we were talking about it on a how do we collaborate to make sure we've got some sort of situation, e.g. drama, for example. But that part of that conversation was also around how can New Zealand on air or would New Zealand on air be open to them enhancing and continuing and enhancing that where are the audiences uh, so that the monitor would be able to use that, but it was at arm's length from them. So um, that was a conversation that they were starting to have and we're hoping to continue to have. What is the relationship like with New Zealand On Air now? Because it it does seem to have been in the dark about what its relationship with, with the PME would be yeah. and, and have and certainly the uh, you know, the those sort of episodes in September where, where they, it sort of seemed to suddenly find that its funding was being significantly reduced you know, that seemed to blindside the organisation. Um, which which um, I, I was at the very first meeting with the CEs um, of the start of the business case. So this was back in 2021. Um, and the CE of New Zealand On Air was there, the CE of TVNZ was there, and the CE of RNZ was there. The CE of New Zealand On Air was at every meeting all the way forward. And myself and Liz Stewart have met with them on uh, either every three months or say every five months 
since 2021 all the way through. Um, we participated in a um, an external um, review that was being done around their strategic direction after the creation of ANZPM um, and offered as much support as possible for them with regard to their funding. The funding decisions are government's decisions. They're not the decisions of the um, establishment unit or the establishment board. The um, business case group recommended that the ANZPM be directly funded from with RNZ's money that had always gone through. So that's 42 million. It had always gone through directly um, or sort of, you know, passed through uh, the bank accounts of NZ On Air. And we said that while we recognise that for at least for the last decade, TVNZ had had benefited from around about $47 million to $50 million worth of New Zealand on air money year after year after year, we recommended that $40 million of that be directed to the new entity to um, ensure that it had the capacity to directly um, commission content. But... If you go and have a look at the overarching report given to the minister along with the business case, you can see that the business case group recommended that New Zealand On Air be topped up by government for that. So um, I don't I don't accept that New Zealand On Air was blindsided by this piece of work because they were always they were always aware of everything we were doing and everything we recommended. I do believe that there was a hiccup in some paperwork between the Ministry of Culture and Heritage and New Zealand On Air, particularly at a point when there was a change of minister. Um, and that led them to, um, it, it misled them in one way around what the funding was because a template was used when it shouldn't have been used um, and that had to be clarified. Um, so, I mean, I can appreciate they wanted answers earlier. Um, I'm saddened by the actions that their board have taken because they have, they have really, um, they've caused a great deal of stress to co some content producers that um, that I don't believe needed to happen because nothing has happened in this particular financial year to New Zealand on Air's money. So, but that was a decision their board made, and we are working. We, being the establishment board and the establishment unit, are working really hard now to identify what that financial consequence is for those content producers, and to try and come up with a solution for them as quickly as possible to relieve that stress. Do you think there remains a role for New Zealand on air? You know, it is a, it's a very unconventional organisation in an international context, and. We're a very small country, so to have what is now a much more well-funded public media entity with a much more explicit mandate and to have this almost rump organisation off to the side participating in private sector media funding, you know, you can see why some people you know, who are advocates of this sort of better public media, stronger public media type thesis might view it actually as redundant and the whole thing should sit within a you know this this new entity no i don't i don't think it should all sit within this whole new entity i think um i think there are conversations to be had about the closeness of the relationship between tamangai paho and new zealand on air and um that collective sort of the dollars that they have collectively and what is it that they are both individually and collectively trying to achieve for new zealand um, and I think that's a, those are conversations that, that would be well-founded. Um, I think there's a conversation to be had about the relationship between Tamangai Paho and New Zealand On Air and ANZPM. Uh, we were quite clear in the business case that if this entity was directly funded with that, um, that particularly that, um, you know, TVNZ 
funding, that it shouldn't be able to go back in and dip back into that pot without an invitation to New Zealand from New Zealand on air. Um, and we perceived that that would only happen if New Zealand on air had a piece of content that they absolutely believed should be produced because of its public media um, quality, but they couldn't find any other platform that would be prepared to carry it. Um, New Zealand On Air has a place, as Tamangai Paho has a place, because you d- you don't want just one all-powerful organisation, um, and that's you know we keep repeating that. That's what we're not we're not trying to make this entity an all-powerful organisation that will uh, that will crush everybody else. And and finally, yeah, you know, I think a lot of this comes down to to the board, the ongoing board, and to the leadership of the organisation, particularly to the CE and that that feels like the big missing piece you know often as much as the, the, this is about intention and legislation and charter and monitoring on some level the, the first individuals in those key roles will play an outsized role in defining the culture and of the organization its relationship with other parties in the media when will we know you know who those individuals are Sure. So the process has begun. Um, So there was an expression of interest and the standard process, which is to go through all government departments um, for them all to put their who they thought would be a good fit into uh, the mix. And then the expressions of interest advertising uh, was placed there. So that process has begun. It's this entity has been recognised as the first what's called significant entity under the new public service standards. So the process to find the board members is more expansive than it has been previously. That means that a shortlist has been created and um, interviews have or are taking place now for um, due diligence interviews to um, ascertain that, that those people would be a right fit for what is the, the goal of the entity. Um, they will then have to be signed off by the minister, the, those that are going to be recommended. He will then have to take that to the cabinet committee and get his cabinet colleagues to agree with those individuals. Then it will have to go to cabinet, be signed off by cabinet, and then they can announce it. My understanding is that the government is um, hoping to complete that process before the end of this year. When they will feel comfortable announcing it, I do not know. But the goal has been to ensure that they can appoint a board in expectation so that the establishment board and the RNZ board and the TVNZ board has four to six weeks that they can hand over um, and induct the new board, uh, the new entity board, before they take up their um, legal responsibilities on the 1st of March. With regard to the CE process, again, that has started and is running in parallel. Um, a, um, an international um, firm based here in New Zealand has been appointed to run two processes. The first one is to seek an interim CE uh, from the who could be appointed in expectation, again, starting in that role on the 1st of March and looking at around about a six-month contract is what we think is necessary. And also the permanent CE, but we want to, the the, um, establishment board want to hand over to the entity board a shortlist for them to be able to pick their own permanent CE. So all of those processes are in play right now, and we're hoping to have them out either by, like have them completed either by the end of the year or very early in the new year. Seems like a 
phenomenal amount of work. So I'll let you get back to it. But I, I really do appreciate you making the time to to talk us through this, Tracy. And Namahi and good luck with it with everything that that's uh, to come. Sure. Thank you very much, Duncan. Take care. The Fold is brought to you by the Spin-Off Podcast Network. It's hosted by Duncan Grieve with production by Tiahe Butler and Samuel Robinson. Series production is by Jane Yee. That was The Fold, brought to you by our partners at O Media, making brands unmissable and public spaces better across Aotearoa. Huge thanks to O Media for sponsoring this episode of The Fold and enabling us to make unmissable connections with Kiwis. Kia ora e tewi, Tiaihe Butler here, podcast manager at The Spinoff. If you enjoy listening to our podcasts, consider supporting our mahi by signing up to become a spin-off member at thespinoff.co.nz slash donate. The Spin-Off Podcast Network.